Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the show and just remind everyone that we have shirts in the shop. Go to pgttcm.com. You can pick up shirts, stickers. We even have those shower curtains I was talking about last time. Also, you can join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Check out the show notes and learn how you can be a part of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, help support the show any way you can. Patreon users, uh, you get a free sticker, at least. So check out what we've got. Uh, Show notes, that's where you're going to find our PayPal link and our sponsors and any information about any guests that are on the show and where to find them. Thank you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. 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 It is I, T.B. Spitzer, in Farmer Days, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us, once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZON. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer. It's my virtual right, Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, how the heck is it going? I am virtually doing well. That's good to hear. It is snowing in Oleander, and I last night, or this morning, witnessed a holiday miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) It snowed and it put it out. It's crazy. Um, I'm 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 still well. I'm I'm full of glühwein right now, but uh, I'm in very excited moods about how the uh, the snow put out the fire uh, of the goat, the giant wooden goat in Dave's yard. Um, Some sort of so we build a we build a giant goat in the farm every year for, mm-hmm. for Christmas season yeah. and then uh, someone who will rename Nameless whose name is Jack Stark yeah. tries to burn it down like like you probably heard about the uh, goats in Scandinavia like uh, last week the big one in the city of uh, I think it's pronounced Scandinavia got burnt down mm-hmm. uh, I think Wednesday or so yeah yeah, yeah. Well, we almost burnt down, so, uh, but so that this for people that aren't sure uh, aware of what we do here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, Oleander is kind of a melting pot, and we've got a weird mix of old Scandinavian uh, folklore, uh, kind of like I want to say, like really specifically with uh, in in the surrounding hills. I don't know what's going on, but a lot of like Scandinavian folklore and myth are. Uh, <laughs> seem like they're uh, heavily supported and also uh, Scandinavian holiday traditions such as uh, the goat and uh, yeah you're more likely to hear people talking about Belschnickel than um, the person who we're not allowed to talk about legally on this show uh one of the many people I think we're legally not allowed to talk about on this show, but this person is a uh, holiday spirit that people know far and wide for their Coca-Cola and their Kentucky Fried Chicken. So, yeah. Um, 
and but and his red clothing if he didn't yeah yeah red clothing it's, it's completely legal to talk about Krampus by the way oh yeah yes I, I think it's even legally required they used to have to the school used to have to write letters to Krampus mm-hmm. Krampus and Belschnickel and yeah no um it's it's uh it's it's fun. It's a fun holiday out here in Oleander. Fun holiday seasons. All kinds of uh, spiced cookies, mulled wine, spiced wine, uh, which I think spiced and mulled may be the same thing. I could be wrong. And also, of course, uh, over at Oblivion's, it's 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 glue wine. Just just you get just get huge things of glue wine. And uh, if people don't know what glue wine is, it is. Uh, glow wine because when you drink it you glow and you drink it outdoors so the area that I don't know is colloquially known as the smoking area but it's just like the outdoor seating area Uh, people get their glow wine and sit out there and enjoy the snow currently Uh, I I does it have radium in it? it does not have radium in it It's, it's just a sense of like outdoor glowing it's cold and dark but you have artificial light and spiced wine so you're glowing um, you stand around a fire and you drink wine with your friends and you're like yeah it's terrible out but we have each other and spiced alcohol so I, and no radium and no radium uh, this isn't uh, Glenda of Oz <laughs> who lives in a radium castle uh, yeah no no um, and yeah it's 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 fun out here this time of year so if you get the chance uh, you know drive on down to Oleander and enjoy the festivities uh, the mayor would like to also recommend that people check out Glorious Resurrection Cemetery, technically a uh, graveyard, not a cemetery. It is not attached to any church. Oh, 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 there is that old, 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 old chapel. There is that old chapel. I totally forget about that. It's such a huge thing. There is that tiny chapel that I think the last thing it was used for is um, like that part over there, like Boy Scouts used to camp over there uh, until the incident in 79, but there was a chapel that they use for Sunday service. It it all makes sense now. Okay, Glorious Resurrection Cemetery. It's not a graveyard. I apologize for all those times. I forgot its name and I thought it was a graveyard. Anyway, Dave. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Christmas is is afoot in Oleander, Oregon. Uh And we are uh, all very participating in our various uh, Christmas activities. Yeah. So whatever holiday you, our dear listeners, celebrate, we hope you have a great one. You were telling me about the breakfast that you had with Sven and Oli this morning. Or no, 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 that's that's not those guys' names. Sven and Sven and Bjorg. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, and you know, I made you know, of course, you know, sausage and you know, uh, fry. And they brought up lutefish because yeah. that's basically all they eat is lutefish. Sure, sure. So the farm does smell of lutefish. That's nice. I mean, if you like that sort of thing. If you like lutefish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was not. It was not. It was nice of them. It was a traditional uh, Scandinavian. Uh, uh, Orthodox uh, lutefish. Uh, 
sixth day before Christmas uh, uh, breakfast. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Now, um, let's see. I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of like what holiday traditions are going on right now. And uh, Sarah Dusseldorf and Barbacoa took off up north to Portland to celebrate something called Cousin Cookie Day, where all the cousins get together, wear pajamas, and make cookies all day. Oh, that's nice. And um, I think next week I'm supposed to go visit my family where we uh, sit around and eat large portions of smoked meats and cheeses and wines and 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 yeah, we, we don't like watch TV or anything. We, we just sit around and regale each other with stories of our travels of that year. So it's 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 just kind of like a bunch of adventurer types sitting around and and telling stories cuz that's what my family is. <laughs> well, that's awesome. It is pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. So, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, if you 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 listeners have any cool holiday traditions that you want to share with us, let us know. We'd love to we'd love to share that stuff. But mostly what we're going to be talking about this episode is Cthulhu. Cthulhu. And started off with, is the Cthulhu mythos real? Now, if you go in, there's a long period of time, if you went into Google and you typed in, is the Cthulhu mythos real? The first thing that would pop up in Google Mm -hmm. was an article that I wrote. Yeah. Uh, And you know what it was titled? What's that? Is the Cthulhu mythos real? Oh, and, and so, but it's been replaced now by Wikipedia, so it's number two. Okay, okay. And, but you know, I don't, I don't live that far from Portland, Oregon. Yeah, and in Portland, Oregon, you know, saying uh, I wrote the number two uh, article that pops up in Google on if you type in is the Cthulhu mythos real? Mm-hmm. That's a legitimate and proven pickup line. <laughs> but it, it was somewhere when uh, the Dave's Corner or the Universe, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and one of the things I wrote about there because that that you know a lot of people do think it is real. Yeah, and one of the things is because of the Simon Necronomicon. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure how familiar you are or our listeners are with the Simon Economicon. It has almost nothing to do with Lovecraft, yeah. other than the title. And it's also almost undoubtedly more than likely a hoax mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where it came from. So it's actually more of a mixture of basic Sumerian... Um, Sumerian beliefs, yeah, uh, with a little bit of Christianity thrown in, um, and it was supposed to have been brought in by a Slavic monk named Simon, yeah, uh, and he took it to a book dealer. But here's the thing, that was in 1980, mm-hmm. except for maybe like just a little period of time, the Simon Necronomicon has not been out of print, yeah, and if you see like a paperback trade edition black one with like sort of pentagram look on it says the Necronomicon uh-huh. almost undoubtedly you're talking about undoubtedly the, the Simon Necronomicon okay uh, which again 
a lot of people have connected to Lovecraft because of the name, mm-hmm. but it, it really doesn't. It, it, it really doesn't have much to do with Lovecraft at all. Uh, but uh, when I was in high school, I had a friend who uh, believed it was a real book and used it to cast um, uh, weather-altering spells, so he uh-huh. wouldn't have to go to school. Yeah. Um, so the, there is this sort of theory that you know Lovecraft is writing true stories, mm-hmm. and, and you know I have a I know someone you know I was talking who you know believed that the Lord of the Rings yeah. happened in another dimension, <sighs> and that J.R.R. Tolkien you know observed it and wrote you know okay you're not going to prove that you're not going to disprove that yeah now what is I think very clear is that Lovecraft never from his letters Mm -hmm. and we have most of never let on that he believed it yeah he absolutely was an atheist atheist sure everything and you know and he was willing maybe to accept giant Aliens traveling through space, but the, everything there was nothing supernatural. There was a science that we didn't understand. Yeah. Now the theory, though, and, and I have to say, you know, the internet is just full of things that are just wrong. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you, audience, but yeah, the universe is just full. Of the the internet is full of things that are wrong. But the, and the Lovecraft little circle, they seem to be doing better at policing itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there was a long theory that Lovecraft's father was some sort of Mason, yeah, who taught him the secrets of the universe, yeah. And, and I don't doubt, for lack of a better word, Lovecraft's father was a traveling salesman mm-hmm. with syphilis. So, <laughs> yeah, he he he, well, he sold um uh. Replacement silverware to restaurants. Okay, all right. And he traveled throughout the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Was he a mason for the minimum to getting business co- contacts? Probably, but he wasn't a member of a really secret, or, you know, secret knowledgeable masons. Mm-hmm. He, you know, if he was, he was just a, a run-of-the-mill regular mason. Yeah. And he also has very little contact with Lovecraft throughout his life. Yeah. So it's unlikely that he taught anything. But there's also, you know, this thought that, that Lovecraft might not been quite human. And that is sort of, I think Lovecraft would have loved it. That is really carried on by uh, uh, an Alan Moore story mm-hmm. in, in Yugoth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fun guy from Yugoth and other mm-hmm. cultures, which is basically a, an uh, anthology connection. And he writes this story about how, you know, Lovecraft's father was a demon and how it ties in with what Lovecraft's real father said about seeing. And, and the truth is, Alan Moore is a storyteller. Yeah. He was telling a story. And he took some facts and things out of time and place and break down nervous breakdown things as Lovecraft's father said. But if you don't know that, yeah. it's actually kind of a strong argument that Lovecraft is a sort of half demon. Yeah, Can- uh, and they, so he's seeing these things. Okay, 
So, so recently I was talking to a, a young lady uh-huh. and I was talking about the podcast uh, and she sort of says that Cthulhu is real. Yeah. And I'm not sure if she's just teasing me or testing me. Uh, and then she shows me uh, she's, um, a tattoo, which is a, a cross with a sort of a double cross uh-huh. with on an infinity sign. Okay. And, and, and it, it, I recognize, but I can't remember, it, it's the Leviathan cross. All right. And, and so the thought is that, uh, that and you know, Lovecraft n- knew a little bit about the Bible. He may have been an atheist, uh-huh. but he knew enough about the Bible to, to communicate with people in, you know, New England. He knew enough about sure. the Bible to know yep. as, as, as literature. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Dagon... Mm-hmm. Comes from the name from the Bible. Yeah. So it is, and uh, it is possible. So this young lady uh, turned out it was a, a Satanist. Okay. And she believed in, in Leviathan. Yeah. So it's possible that Lovecraft was inspired from the Bible to help to create Cthulhu. Okay. Um. And now, obviously, I don't think he would have believed in Leviathan, mm-hmm. but he definitely probably would have known of Leviathan especially living on a coastal town okay. where Leviathan is often considered like with the whales yeah now an interesting flip coin of that yeah. is that apparently Christian artist and comic book person Jack Chick believes in Cthulhu <laughs> yeah you mentioned that last time so, 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 so Jack Chick, for all those of you who don't know, is actually he's a decent artist, mm-hmm. uh, but he makes all these basically Tijuana Bible Christian tracks, and some of them are just way, way off. If but he if, wrote if, one against D and D called Dark Dungeon, I was going to say most people will know uh, Jack Chick for his uh, Darkest Dungeons. Uh, little handheld book. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the Tijuana, those, those sort of half things stapled together. They're, they're called yeah. Tijuana Bibles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and so a guy named J.R. Ryle, who yeah. I actually talked to, um, always wanted to take that, that dark dungeon and make it into a movie. Sure. So he won $1,000 in the lottery in a scratch-off. Okay. And he goes to Jack Chick and he says, I want to make this this movie yeah and so jack chick sold him the rights oh that's cool i don't and and it's not a straight up parody it's not mm-hmm. an attack but it's there's there's like the two main female characters there's this sort of subtle lesbian overtones that i don't think jack chick meant yeah um but in the beginning the 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 hooded figures the sort of illuminati which are all played by the uh the the uh, gaming group in uh, the darkness rising, and so uh, they're trying to summon Cthulhu. Okay. And after I saw this in a, um, I saw saw I saw this in a a, a con about oh 2015 or so, mm-hmm. and, and so I asked Jr. I go, well, oh, he's cool. Why why did you add Cthulhu? And he said because in the Jack Chick universe, Cthulhu is real. Uh, and he said that they didn't want to go too overboard, too much attack Christianity. Yeah. So they actually had a minister on staff. 
And it was his job to say, hey, you guys are just pushing it too far. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the only time he did that was when they brought up Cthulhu. And, and then JR went online and he brought up the official Jack Chick website. And it was an article. It wasn't written by Jack Chick, mm-hmm. but it was posted on and approved by him on his official website. And it said, do not play role-playing games because it summons Cthulhu and he's real. And the preacher just looked at him and said, but I got nothing. So Jack Chick and his followers <laughs> believe that Cthulhu is real. Now, we talked a little bit about Alan Moore, who is also, you know, he's probably, besides, I mean, he's most famous as a comic book writer. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, you know, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, and he knows a lot about the mythos. He wrote uh, The Fungi of Yugoth. He wrote Providence, uh, Courtyard. Uh, so, But he is a chaos magician. Sure. Yeah. And, and I am not qualified to talk much about chaos magic. I don't know that much. Mm-hmm. But my idea, understanding is that you take, use archetypes. And so even the chaos magician, even though they believe that Cthulhu or the others are are not, were created by Lovecraft as fiction. Yeah, their existence, the people know them, the knowledge, and that they represent something mm-hmm. can be used. Okay, so that's not that they know it's not fictitious, but that fictitious things can be used in real magic. <laughs> now that's my understanding, and if I'm completely wrong, I apologize to chaos magicians, and we would love to have one you know come and sort of explain because because I don't know that much about it. Sure. Yeah. Now, okay. there are a couple of two churches of Cthulhu. Okay. Which are legal church entities. So if you give them money, yeah. You you can write off your taxes. Whoa. You can also um they can perform you know, if they if you get ministerials from them, mm-hmm. you can perform things like weddings. Okay. And again, I would love to have someone from the Church of Cthulhu call, call in, or the first. There's, there's a couple. Apparently, yeah. there's a schism or something. Okay. First Church of Cthulhu. But my understanding is, you don't. It's not as much that they believe Cthulhu is right uh-huh. as Lovecraft is right, uh-huh. and that this Lovecraft hit this sort of hit it right on the head on the nail uh-huh. the universe is this cold somber uncaring unfeeling place um, and that you can be a member of other churches and be a member of the church of Cthulhu you just sort of have to believe that the universe is this cold unfeeling place gotcha gotcha now there's a lot more we can cover but one other person I wanted to talk about is Kenneth Grant okay Kenneth Grant is sometimes uh, sort of mockingly, sort of lovingly referred to as the intern for Aleister Crawley. Okay. So Aleister Crawley in the the 40s, uh, Kenneth Grant was in his 20s. Crawley is very sick. So Kenneth Grant basically hangs around and does everything that Crawley needs yeah. for free. Okay. Uh, and so he takes over a lot of Crawley's leadership, not maybe the leadership, I think they're pretty, uh, pretty uh, fractured when, when Crawley finally dies. Sure. But later on in his life, Kenneth Grant is going to discover Lovecraft. 
Ah. And he's going to think that Lovecraft is this perfect description, or Lovecraft's writing, of what evil is. He's saying it's not real, but what it is is this really good description of what real evil is, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. So so he, he gives it, it's this sort of greater than fiction status mm-hmm. that, love, that Cthulhu is not real, but the concepts and the tropes around Cthulhu are real. Very interesting. <laughs> and the, the fact the universe is cold and, and uncaring again, yeah. but also that, you know, that sort of idea that, that you know, the really powerful entities out there uh-huh. were like bugs. Yeah. So that's sort of corner. And there's a lot more to cover, but that's kind of what I thought I'd share today about with the concept of, of Cthulhu being real. Oh, wow. I like that. I like that a lot. That's pretty cool. I love the concept of Cthulhu as, oh, man, uh, is Cthulhu real? And uh, Cthulhu not being real, but the whole concept of uh, Lovecraft's writings as like a stand-in for like what true evil is. I, I really like that concept. And uh, D&D on D. And, and, and I am probably oversimplifying it, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty cool. And uh, in a few moments after this break, we're going to talk about D&D on D&D. And we're going to go with a similar concept, which is Cthulhu as a cargo cult. Or like, what if Cthulhu is something? What, what if Cthulhu's not real? What if Cthulhu's not real? And how to do that in your game. So... Let's uh, see you after the break, and we'll talk about this. Games. 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 I'm Evan J. Peterson. I am an author, poet, game writer, performer, and sometime critic and professor. My latest book is Metaflesh, Poems in the Voices of the Monster uh, from Aris Entertainment. And that's all poetry and flash prose in the voices of the Frankenstein monster. And definitely emphasis on voices, plural. But uh, I also wrote the nonfiction book, The Prep Diaries, a safer sex memoir and uh, the the RPG Dragstar, which is a drag performance simulator from Choice of Games. That is a lot of things. Yeah, it's amazing you have time to do anything else. See, that's what people tell me. I I have some kind of weird gay Jewish complex where I never think that I'm accomplishing enough. And then people like my best friends and my therapist are like, Evan, you just put a book out. I'm like, yeah, but... <laughs> so, you know, whatever. Yeah, goat farmers suffer from that, from that too. Goat farmers? Yes, I, I, I live on a goat farm and there's always something just in the way they look at me is that you could have done better. Yeah. You have could you, have done more. Uh, have you read Nadia Bulkin's story, Red Goat, Black Goat? 
I think somebody had recommended that to me, but I, I don't think I have it yet. It is really good. Um, <clears throat> I I can't recall if it's in her collection. Uh, her collection from Word Horde is called She Said Destroy, but I believe it's definitely in uh, in one of the. Um, Cthulhu collections that came out recently, either Cthulhu's Monsters uh, edited by Ellen Datlow or um, Daughters of Cthulhu, a.k.a. She Walks in Shadows, which I think was edited by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. I think you're correct. Okay. Yeah, she's got she's got a kind of Shubnigurath story uh, set in Indonesia called Red Goat, Black Goat, and it's it's just amazing. Uh, I know what my family is getting for Christmas this year. Yeah, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. Now, you just do so much, but part of it that intrigues me is I love poetry, and, and I love people that can do poems. But how do you create horror poems? Great question. Uh, I think poetry actually lends itself quite well to horror because poetry is, it's a language of the unconscious. It's a language of emotion. It's a language of dreams. And I think one reason that a lot of people have trouble reading poetry is that they they go into it thinking it's going to make frontal lobe sense. And a lot of times it doesn't. So if, if you read it for the emotional impact and the, the images that it suggests rather than a linear, straightforward narrative, I think uh, you'll get a lot out of it. And so horror poetry to me is not, is not, you know, a very literal, oh, here's a vampire. Um, what rhymes with vampire? You know, we've seen we've seen books like that, and they're novelty books. You know, uh, there's a book called Now We Are Sick, uh, which is a play on Now We Are Six by A. A. Milne. Mm. And, uh, this book has uh, mostly fiction authors who are writing rhymed sing-songy childlike poetry about horror topics and most of those poems in that anthology are not good but when you get to people like sylvia plath writing about killing herself you know that is horror and it is magnificent yeah and for a long time i think poems were sort of the art of the masses and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't for a long time, uh, newspapers would have, you know, poems that people would memorize and say in their family circles, you know, on Sunday or Monday night or whenever their family got together. So at one time it was sort of a, a main way that people entertain themselves. Absolutely. And I, I think that, that pop music has, has occupied that niche. Mm. And unfortunately, like, I don't think that pop music kicked poetry out. I think that there's been this drift of poetry toward becoming more and more academic and 
you know, therefore inaccessible to the masses. You know, anyone can turn on the radio and follow most of what's on there, and that's fine. Um, and, and, you know, countries outside the United States, uh, a lot of places in Asia and especially Latin America still have a thriving appreciation for poetry. Um, yeah, and, and I think we see that reflected in the popularity of hip hop as well. This is poetry of the people, but, uh, you know, T.S. Eliot is not a poet of the people. Yeah, yeah. Someone was telling me, too, um, recently, that every issue of JAMA, uh, the Journal of American Medical Association, has a poem from either a doctor or, or a patient. Yeah, I, you know, I've been meaning to send them a copy of of Metaflesh, my Frankenstein poetry book, uh, because oh. there's so much medical fetishism uh, in in the book, and so much rumination on disease and uh, um, just just being being compromised in different ways by one's physical health and and mental health for that matter yeah no i that'd be really interesting and you know i think these people of all that they're you know scientists and stuff and and they feel that the best way that they could express the way they feel with this is through poetry and i thought gee that's beautiful yeah you know i my my poetry mentor, one of my poetry mentors, uh, David Kirby, he, I remember one day in, in class, he was talking about this, uh, this term, the fog of ideas. Mm -hmm. And there's this, there's this connection between poetry, symphonic music and science, which is that you have you have this cloud of pure hypothesis and then something something really elegant emerges from it in all three all three disciplines okay. yeah i i had not thought of it much that way but i i think you're right i think he's right yeah and i mean poetry is such a wonderful language to communicate in and it's such a great art form to consume. I just, I encourage people to try different, try different genres and artists till they find something they like. Excellent, I, and I do. I think maybe as Americans, we kind of want poetry as poetry, but there is. There's just like there's fiction. You know, there's different genres and versions. Same thing with poetry. Yeah, but and you know, there's a lot of poets on the radio. Certainly, you know, people like Prince, Bowie, Dylan, uh, Janelle Monet, uh, most of the most of the rappers, you know, all these people are talented poets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now, kind of changing a little bit, but it's fair enough, I think, to say that we last couple of years, we've gone through some horrific times. You know, how does it affect you being a horror writer, either, you know, prose or poetry, when people, you know, see horrible things every time they turn on the TV, it feels like. You know, it's funny. Um, I wrote Metaflesh during the Bush administration. 
Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm going to assume the second Bush administration. Yes. During the first Bush administration, I could barely write my name. Oh. Um, that's a slight exaggeration, but not by much. Um, so when when it just the manuscript never got picked up for publication and I kind of just gave up on it for a while and then the 200th anniversary of Mary Shelley's first publication of Frankenstein came and went and I was thinking hmm should I should I try again and luckily a friend of mine who has his own poetry publishing project uh, really wanted to pick it up and distribute it oh excellent but I, I think it, I think it was quite timely to come out, uh, just coming out of uh, the Trump administration, and with the, you know, I remember when he was on the campaign trail and people were saying, "Drain the swamp, drain the swamp," and other people were pointing out, "Well, when you drain the swamp, you release the alligators." Yeah. So, you know, the alligators are still around. Um, And I, you know, I try not to assume that anyone I'm talking to has the same political positions that I do. But um, I think I think Trump was a bad president. I think he is a bad human being. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to release this book at a time when a lot of people around the world are still reeling from, you know, the the daily circus of of incompetence and depravity that was his four-year administration. Yeah, and, and, and I'll definitely, yeah, I, I could definitely go on, on on that, but then you have other things uh, which maybe he made worse, but like COVID or the wildfires, just everything mm. seems to be hitting at once. Yes. And, you know, I wonder with everything hitting at once and us being sort of mid apocalypse, um, you know, maybe, well, not just maybe, I think definitely he was not a contributor to the apocalypse. I think that he was a direct result (laughs) of a lot of apocalyptic things happening. You know, I don't I don't think he is a disease. I think he is a symptom. Yes. Yeah. We're 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 not gonna get uh, too much disagreement from me on that one. I, I I agree with you pretty much on that. But I sort of have a kind of a different question though. Sure. Is I understand you are a fan of body horror. I love body horror. It's my and favorite. So, so so what is it, and what do you like so much about it? So I've you know I've had my entire life to think about this. Uh, so you know, sit down here on my knee, young David, and we'll we'll talk about body horror. Uh, so, what initially attracted me to monsters in general? Because I I would say I'm definitely a monster fan. I love I love pretty much all monsters in ways that I don't necessarily love all horror. Okay. Yeah, um, slasher movies are fun, but they don't quite do it for me the same way that the Alien franchise does or John Carpenter's movies, uh, other than Halloween. Um, So for one thing, it's the imagination. 
One thing I love about body horror is getting getting very hyper focused and specific on all of the possibilities that a body could show us. Um, that's why I love squishy horror, like Carpenter's version of The Thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I love that we don't know what <laughs> I we don't know what that alien's original form was. All we know is that it can become all these different things from all these different planets that it's uh, assimilated life from. And then I think the other major part of body horror for me uh, is is being a queer person. Um, I, as a kid, I think I was gender fluid way before I knew that I was gay. And we didn't we didn't really have terms like gender fluid and non-binary back then yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Or I think in high school, if we had a term like non-binary. I might have identified as that. Um, I thought I might be trans for a while, but I figured out that I am not. I just, uh, I want to keep the body that I have, but then put anything over it that I choose to, if that makes sense. Sure. And and we think of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the, the sort of gut feeling is you think something like that almost cybernetic or from you know I, I had a teacher once said that earrings were like the most cyberpunk thing they'd ever you know it's actual putting metal in your body but it could also be more like a organic uh in origin as opposed to cyber cybernetic or cyberpunk sure and i mean that's where we get wetware you know is it is it not cyberpunk if it's organic technology as opposed to inorganic technology? If it's not made of wires, but it's made of actual nerves and cells, does that make it not cyberpunk? I, I don't, I don't know. It's, <laughs> this is why we have terms like biopunk. Oh, yeah. Now I have to admit, uh, until we talked uh, a while back, I kind of always thought about it body horror as, as a visual medium something in you know Cronenberg movies or, or something but you know we're not thinking about it so it is how, how do you do portray body horror in 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 prose or in poetry uh, well you have to be good at description I I am a very visual and cinematic writer I've always loved to evoke imagery through my words. So, you know, I I think it's it's entirely possible. I mean, you know, to go once again and look back at what Mary Shelley created, that uh, I think it's chapter four is the creation scene where, where Victor Frankenstein finally takes a step back. And instead of seeing the tiny little minutiae of this experiment he's been working on, he sees the whole creature all of a sudden, and he yeah. sees how grotesque it actually is. And it's a it's a great description that uh, that Shelley renders for us of of all of these seemingly beautiful physical traits like long glossy hair, white pearly teeth. 
uh, athletic musculature, but it's still a cadaver. Yeah. So it is a dead body, and it is a it is a thoroughly dead body that has shriveled up and turned yellow, but it's got banging hair and nice teeth and great pecs. And I think one of the other things, and I think that's an incredible example. The other thing is, you know, maybe I could imagine things in my mind that, you know, the, the, the ratings board wouldn't let them put on a TV or on a movie. Mm-hmm. So, so I think you're right. If it's a, a really good writer is good at describing things, I think we can imagine something more horrific than than definitely with CGI. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, CGI in the hands of a good a good artisan uh, can be very convincing. But, you know, <laughs> in the hands of a of a mediocre one, it just kind of ruins everything. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I think body horror in fiction is not difficult. I mean, I'm it's not difficult for me and I don't think it's that difficult to find either. You just got to really love bodies and what they do. Now, you had mentioned uh, a little bit about being a, a fan of queer horror and science fiction. Now, you were on a panel a while back with our co-host, uh, yeah. Stevie Spitzer. Yeah. And he said that that was probably the best panel he'd ever been on, and especially with your input. And he said it was a, just a, a standing room only audience. So what are maybe some of your favorite uh, queer science fiction or horror? So I, I tend to most love the crypto queer and by crypto queer, it's stuff that's not overtly two girls kissing or two men fucking. It's, uh, you know, it's more of the idea of gender being subverted or inverted. So John Carpenter's thing is actually a very gay movie. You have an all male cast. Uh, who are (laughs) they're isolated and you know if you isolate a group of men long enough they will have sex with each other this is like you know this is this is almost a a universal constant of physics Um, and and they are infecting one another with their disease you know you can think of that metaphorically as they're infecting each other with something like hiv or with uh homosexuality itself but you know they have to share bodily fluids in order to spread it so the thing is right up there so is uh, the original alien where a lot of male bodies are turned into vessels for yeah harboring you know, <laughs> carrying something to term that they don't really want to, uh, which is a whole other conversation, right? Um, but then as far as overtly queer, where we have something like a same-sex relationship, I love The Hunger. Um, awesome. The Hunger is my favorite vampire movie of all time. 
and it's such a it's such a beautiful movie. Uh, people people say that it's too campy, too overwrought. I think it's fantastic. I think that Tony Scott did a beautiful job on that movie, and he did it adapting a thoroughly mediocre book. Oh, definitely, and it definitely catches that period of time too. Oh, I think that <laughs> Catherine Deneuve is so impossibly French in that film. And everyone smokes constantly. Everyone smokes constantly in that movie. Mm-hmm. And definitely. And, you know, even back into, uh, you know, um, oh, I always meant Carmela that... You know, yes. That which I love is one of my favorite short stories. They're always, it's really rather tame by modern st- uh, standards, but it's very obvious. You know that that relationship between the two girls is, is symbolic for for vampirism by itself. Yes, um, it's it's kind of amazing how overt the lesbianism is in Carmilla, considering it was released in the mid 19th century. Yeah. You know, it's not even cryptic. It is right there on the page. You got this female vampire who will just grab hold of this mortal girl and make out with her. (laughs) It's, (laughs) yeah, I love it. Yeah, and, and it makes us, I think, yeah, it's enough that we're, we're talking about it, what, 160 years later? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> now, I want to thank you again, because uh, we really were looking forward to having a, an earlier interview with you, but uh, unfortunately, some, some technical things, so I'm really grateful that, that you would... Uh, have a, a second interview and and now i've learned more things actually uh but we always like to end on one question and maybe you've had a little bit of time to think about this is if you could be in charge of any project any any creative project any medium you don't have to worry about copyrights you don't have to worry about money what would your dream project be Well, last time I said X-Men, which is still a dream project of mine. I would love to get into that IP and uh, put my own wonderful, perverse Evan J. Peterson spin on it. Um, But I would also really, really, really love to reboot the Rocky Horror Picture Show and turn that into a, a multimedia thing with with games and all kinds of stuff uh i think i think that is i think that is a a film that could be improved upon um but doesn't need to be and you could either reboot the film itself or you could just leave it as is and and then start generating sequels and prequels and side stories and stuff. Um, Most people who are Tim Curry fans know that he is in very poor health. He had a stroke a few years ago and he can, he can barely talk, but he was at Emerald city comic con. 
Oh, nice. With fans. So, you know, God bless him. And, you know, may, may the queen live long and prosper. Um, but yeah, it, it wouldn't be quite the same. And uh, I think, I think Fox did a pretty decent job of the uh, made for TV reboot. I thought Laverne Cox was a fantastic choice for for the character and I, I believe her her character in the film is overtly transgender mm, okay. uh, she is a she is a trans feminine drag queen she's all of the above in in the film uh, which was probably the best choice but I, I think that they made the mistake of dropping this this superstar like Laverne Cox in the middle of a cast of Broadway trained singers ah so she she gets outshined constantly by the other singers even though she is clearly the main the main attraction yeah so yeah Rocky Horror or X-Men or both well, we would yeah. love to see. We would love to see either of those, and we yeah. definitely hope to have you on before you get there. Um, Thank you. From your from your lips to Cthulhu's ears. Yes, but uh, before we go, though, if people are interested in your work, especially maybe a last minute holiday uh, gift, what would how can how can they find your your writings? So. EvanJPeterson.com is the hub for all of my stuff. You can usually find your way to anything that I do through my website. Um, it's E-V-A-N letter J Peterson with an O-N.com. Uh, I am on Twitter. Feel free to talk with me on Twitter at EvanJPeterson. I also have an Instagram, which is evan.j.peterson. I have a pretty cohesive brand there, you know, trying to <laughs> trying not to make uh, myself too difficult to track down online. But yeah, you know, play the games I've written, read the books I've written, buy them for your friends. You know, if you have a particularly promiscuous friend who's not on prep yet, get them the prep diaries, you know? Okay, excellent. Fun. Well, we will definitely have plan on having you again, and thank you so much for uh, for going through this not only once but twice. You know, it is it is my pleasure uh, to be on the the People's Guide, and I look forward to coming back. Well, thank you. We will definitely have you back. All right. Well, uh, Merry Cthulhu Miss and uh, Happy Hanukkah, and I'll talk to y'all later. Excellent show. Thank you. Once again, it was just amazing. Thank you once again, Evan Peterson, coming on the show. I thank you again uh, so much. Sorry we lost the audio for last time. And I would love to see that that X-Men project, especially if it was Chris Claremont, 1970s uh, X-Men, where it was very much like a soap opera. Oh man, that stuff was awesome. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix Saga, Dark Phoenix Saga for sure. And hey, uh, check the show notes, find out what Evan's up to and gonna be up to in the future uh, with their link. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, let's see, something about Golden Goat CBD, uh, something about Copper Cow, pour over coffee, 
Here's the mid-roll. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, Submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Break has broken. How's the break is broken? Yeah. How's 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 it going? How's 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 it been with you for this last uh, bit of time? Uh, the snow's sort of melting off the ground, but yeah. other than that, that's all really happened in the last few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's very very true. Uh, yeah. So Cthulhu is not real. What if Cthulhu is pretty much like the Wizard of Oz, using Cthulhu as a construct, using Cthulhu as a hologram? Why did a steamboat just pass straight through it? I mean, <laughs> um, here's a concept that I've been kicking around for a little bit. What if Cthulhu is a construct? What if Ralgay itself and Cthulhu is kind of like the security system to keep people out of that part of the uh, South Pacific, the, the Pacific Ocean? Um, because it is like maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's a greater deep one colony. Uh, maybe there is an elder thing colony. Maybe there was a, uh, what do you call them? Uh, yeah, yeah, the great race of Yith. Uh, maybe they had a bunch of stuff going down. And I know that, that you know, they uh, talk about in, I think, Shadow Out of Time, how there was like a battle between the Elder Things in Cthulhu and the Yithians. But what if uh, Cthulhu is some sort of like Yithian psyop? I mean, these these are all things. What if Migos created the concept of Cthulhu to keep people away from a mining operation uh, under the water? Or maybe at that point in time, it wasn't underwater uh, with, with the way that uh, the geographical oddities of Lovecraft's uh, oceans of jutting up and down as we discussed uh, recently but I don't know Dave uh, what are your thoughts on this concept here well I I, I like the idea and so first of all Mm -hmm. your players and a lot of Call Cthulhu players a lot of D&D and and Call Cthulhu background haven't read the books no so so but they know cthulhu sure they, yeah they know and the so plush the, the toy one and... thing that they think they know <laughs> is fake yeah uh, and and i also like it if you're doing like a delta green mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have you ever heard of elevich ramirez sanchez no also known as carlos the jackal no 
Okay, so Carlos the Jackal, growing up, Carlos the Jackal, my dad described Carlos Jack was the only person out there that's really doing James Bond things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he was supposed to be this great sort of super terrorist. Uh-huh. And he did do things. He did, uh, he took OPEC uh, people hostage and he shot a few people. But th- the more and more you study him, he was kind of bumbling. Gotcha. But... What would happen is that the CIA or whatever, they wanted to do something that was maybe a halfway friendly nation or not, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they didn't want this or negotiations. So they would start blaming all this stuff on Carlos the Jacko. And and kind of in the same way, kind of like uh, the original Mandarin in the MCU. Mm -hmm, They mm -hmm. created these legends and eventually, eventually the guy got uh, busted doing they, they were they were liposuction they were sucking fat out of him uh-huh. he would they tranquilized him and the French police came in and and, and, he, and I, I mean he did kill some people he was yeah. he, he did shoot some people but he wasn't this great terrorist that everyone thought he was mm-hmm. and so if the CIA or KGB something needed something to go they would blame it on Carlos the Jackal. Yeah. So maybe maybe the elder gods have just you know created maybe Cthulhu is just this halfway de- maybe the biggest or not very powerful um Cthulhu kin mm-hmm. or maybe you know he just doesn't exist at all. Yeah. And that they're doing this or maybe even maybe even you know MK Ultra and Black Ops or something are doing this to make people think it's supernatural. Yeah. Uh, here's 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 a wacky theory I have. Uh, what if Yithians had like a term for like uh, gremlins? Like, oh man, this this uh, neural spatializer isn't quite working. Oh, it's got a Cthulhu. It's it's it's. Oh yeah, it's got Cthulhu in it. <laughs> and then you know, someone decides. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. For Yithian YouTube, I'm going to create in the middle of the ocean a giant Cthulhu that'll mess with people if they go out into the middle of nowhere and say a bunch of stuff. (laughs) A Yithian prank show. But (laughs) Or or, or what if Roy liked that idea? Roy liked that idea. What if Cthulhu is like their equivalent of, of Santa Claus? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, well, we're going to celebrate a party, we'll put up Cthulhu, but, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the humans get a little bit of it, and they start their own religion. Yeah, yeah, no. <sighs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no uh, something I was thinking about is, like, uh, say you have a security system for... Um, like something to keep Shoggoths out. Like it's like, what would what would scare Shoggoths? What would keep Shoggoths out of something? And you go, okay, what if it's something that can affect minds? Shoggoths have minds. You can't really hurt them this way, and they can't really hurt them that way. Say it's something that's bigger, more powerful than Shoggoths, and you do it to keep Shoggoths out. Um, or you have some sort of like, I don't know, as 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 I've said before, some sort of like psyop or something like that, and. Uh, like ancient psyop going on 
uh, for like say uh, Sathagwa wants uh, humans to worship him but he's going to pretend to be Cthulhu and has his uh, I don't know his, his, his minions create all kinds of statues I don't know uh, not Sathagwa someone else uh, some powerful king uh, yeah I don't know there's there's a lot of ways that I think you could use Cthulhu as kind of like this fake thing that someone has convinced is real that like is going to come and like destroy your enemies and stuff like that and um at some point in time someone needs to make make it a true thing so ralier is created or maybe ralier is the remnants of maybe cthulhu did exist at one point in time and was destroyed but someone's like well without cthulhu being a threat here you know, we have to worry about bigger things than, you know, it's like when Cthulhu was here, we at least had, you know, we didn't have to worry about bigger threats than Cthulhu. So maybe if we make a fake Cthulhu, maybe Cthulhu's like a scarecrow or something like that to keep yeah. bigger things away from the earth. That, you know, was set up by, again, Yithians or the Migo or something like that. Or something to scare, like, uh, primitive humans away from certain parts of the ocean. Like, like a giant boogeyman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, some somewhere between, <laughs> somewhere between, like uh, you know, the mythology that you tell children to keep them away from large bodies of water or caves, and an actual kind of like scarecrow kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you've heard of the bloop. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I am familiar with the bloop. So the bloop for it's sort of a, a sound underwater that's supposed to, if you play it to cats, it's supposed to drive them crazy. Yeah. Just annoys them. Yeah. I, I tried. Okay. But it, more than likely, the bloop, uh, bloop is tied up with, um, oh, um, oh, uh, Cthulhu. But more than likely, it's melting water rushing through glaciers. Mm -hmm. Maybe investigating the bloop. And find, at this point, no, no, it's not Cthulhu, but you do find, like, a Nazi base. Yeah, yeah. Or or what I was thinking is, like, say someone is, like, following up the original investigation that is the Call of Cthulhu, and it's just more or less being, like, this was so sloppy. There's, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, kind of, like, uh, disproving everything from the Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> That's true. Or, or what if you know that like you said it was Scarecrow? Uh -huh. What if what if Cthulhu is actually uh, an alien uh, quarantine signal? Oh yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. And it's supposed to like you know it's like for alien technology it would be like uh, stay away from this planet. But since or we all have mats. Yeah, yeah, and, and since we all have, like, meat brains and stuff, uh, <laughs> no one planned on what would happen if, uh, you know, you built uh, Shoggoths and uh, the byproduct of that turned into something, you know, they, they're not, you know, it wasn't, you know, the hardware conflicts with other, you know, bio-hardware conflicting with other bio-hardware. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. we don't have four-dimensional, five-dimensional brains. So yeah, no, I've, I've I've always like kind of thought that was a kind of a cool concept. If like we're 
just completely misinterpreting Cthulhu or the Cthulhu mythos in general um, because it is so alien like just the concept of like oh yeah this 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 group of people far up north and this group of people over here and even if deep ones uh, like if you have groups of deep ones that worship Cthulhu that makes sense because it's like of course the deep ones would have ran across and of course the deep ones would have been like oh my god that thing's amazing as long as we don't do this and this and this it doesn't show up then we can hang out in that area so if we do this you know it's like um you have a complete cargo cult um with humans with deep ones with human deep one hybrids um maybe you have some degenerate migo that think it's like a real thing and you know start making statues to it maybe you have some sort of atlantean culture some sort of like offshoot of atlantean culture uh I don't know, uh, Hyperborean, Hiberian, one of those ancient, ancient uh, Cthulhu mythos, cosmic horror type uh, civilizations started worshiping this thing that they ran across because, I don't know, because they were an ocean-going society after the sinking or, or during Atlantis or whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, continents were in different spots. You had land masses in different places. Maybe it would. Yeah. It, maybe it made more sense at some point in time to have that be a security system there, as uh, keeping uh, shipping paths of, say, people back in uh, Ran Tigoth's uh, era. You know. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, absolutely. And you know, maybe it's something as simple as advertising. Yeah. <laughs> this giant this giant uh, Cthulhu statue at the bottom of the ocean it, it's an it's an ad for the the Migo bar or something yeah yeah or or, or, or uh, maybe an elder thing white noise generator to help you sleep yeah <laughs> available here <laughs> in this awesome city yeah no and uh, yeah uh, how how I don't know. It's 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 like, uh, do we know Ralier is a city? Is 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 an island? Is a whatever um, created by Cthulhu? Uh, we don't know if it's an elder thing city that sank. We don't know if it's a human civilization that sank. What we know is that there was something that a Swedish, Norwegian, Scandinavian fisherman of some sort saw in a period of duress after him and his friends went to an island and he was the only survivor besides his friend who also went crazy and I mean there's a lot of suspect things in the call of Cthulhu it's like that's really uh, that's that's really convenient that the alert was there you know it was very convenient that there's a ship that happens to have some fingers and a statuette of Cthulhu what happened to the other about what happened to the other crew and I, I i mean i don't know there's i feel like there's plot holes that aren't necessarily plot holes but like what if it's just some i don't know um unreliable narrator i mean it i, I feel sure. like it is in some ways an unreliable narrator in the fact that it's like we're getting 
a second-hand account of an island written in a language that wasn't the first language. I'm not saying that the fisherman or the, the sailor was like a dummy or a liar or anything, but what if he was a cultist? What if he was hiding the truth from even himself? Ooh. Sure, and yeah. Yeah, so it, it's... it's it, it, multiple interpretations multiple translations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and people are going to put in their their biases oh sure yeah especially when they've got no explanations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely you always have to set up an entire campaign this way oh yeah I don't know if you could, could spring in the middle of one maybe mm-hmm. yeah yeah no 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 I mean as, as, as much as like in Lovecraft's writing like God is dead and there's actually these ancient gods what if there's not even these ancient gods I mean or not that specific ancient god what if there's like I don't know uh, something even totally different than what we think you know it's like you think that it's just like stuff like uh, Cthulhu and Dagon and Hydra and maybe some other stuff like that but actually no it's more about Dialoth and Azathoth and all the oths <laughs> exactly like the, the the really out there kind of like yeah no you can you can worship Shub Niggeroth if you want to and you know Naralethotep is something that people worship and but like earthly cults are like baby all garbage and like the true powers out there are like Azathoth, Dialoth, and like the really kind of like super bizarre, obscure kind of like like just nothing that has like a humanoid form whatsoever to any extent. Like, you know, physical forms that we understand, like uh, great old ones or whatever like that, 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 uh, you know, uh, anyway, I'm, 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 I'm getting off track. Um, yeah, Cthulhu as 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 a cargo cult, I think is like kind of a fascinating idea. You have people who are getting these dream sendings, and they reinterpret it uh, as this thing. And I mean, we're talking about like vague descriptions of a mountain that walks. Uh, that's kind of like an octopus and a dragon and a man, and it's. What if it's if, if if it's just kind of like a projection of like fears in general, kind of like what what if it's just like supposed to be this kind of like security system that like floods you with fear and makes you go away? And it's just like every once in a while it like builds up too much and just kind of like blasts out all over the continent or you know blasts out all over the world uh, yeah no I, I definitely <laughs> like that idea and then you have like modern you know modern adventures uh, being like we gotta go find this like island that these people have talked about and it's like we know that deep ones exist and we know that uh, this thing exists and we know that these things used to exist let's let's prove that this exists you know we know that there's an island out there we've got this book you know it's like what if it starts out as like a PBS special or something like that. You're hired as like a crew for like a ship that's going to go and find this uh, island found in a notebook. And like all of this stuff, say uh, it's it's a Nova special for people who found all of the old Cthulhu files, the Cthulhu cult file. 
and <laughs> you uncover that it is actually a cult within a cult. It's 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 like even more far removed from what people think Cthulhu is. And I don't know. I, I think that might be an interesting idea. But I also feel like a lot of people are like, this is the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. You can't really do a thing about how Cthulhu isn't real. And I say, no, I, I, that's that's kind of awesome to do. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if, if, you, if you disagree, then just contact us and we'll do a counterpoint on No, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I think it's easy. I think it's just as easy to use Cthulhu in this way as it is to use Cthulhu as Cthulhu. If you establish, and it shakes up your it shakes up your players' expectations. Yeah, yeah, and 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 also, then you have people who are just like, we're cultists, but we don't actually have a real god. Uh, we have learned some magic, but it's like not. You know, it's 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 like the difference between like people who worship Azathoth and you know can use the voice of Azathoth and the sign of Azathoth versus people who have like learned summon deep ones and you know it's like oh yeah I'm using Cthulhu powers it's like no you you just used a summoning spell <laughs> yeah yeah and, and just kind of like depower uh, a lot of your uh, great old ones and just you know make Cthulhu. Uh, BS, make Haster, you know, Haster's not real, it's just kind of like Cthulhu, but it's way far off in the distance, you know, it's it's over on that sun over there. Uh, it's it's in the Taurus uh, constellation. But, you know, just kind of depower your uh, great old ones, make them just like old security systems for some reason, and, uh, or, and, and, and some are just like, I don't know, paragons of, of, of their race, like Dagon and Hydra. Dagon. And, and, and there's an argument, and it's all headcanon, but yeah, yeah, there's an argument that Cthulhu is just the biggest, toughest Cthulhu kin. Yeah, yeah. Star Spawn. Yeah, Star Spawn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think when Star Spawn are mentioned, it's just kind of assumed that they look like Cthulhu, but I don't, I, I can't remember if. Um, uh, Shadow Out of Darkness has anything that really kind of like definitely ties Cthulhu to the uh, Star Spawn, but I, I think Lair the well, well, so Star Spawn appears in Mountains of Madness. Oh, okay, as, okay, as words, okay, as words, and I believe that Darius uh, Lair of the Star Spawn mm-hmm. describes the two as looking vaguely Cthulhu-like. Okay, so we're basing stuff off of Durleth. All right, so we well, even well, have and to mountains of madness. Yeah, but Star Spawn as Cthuloid creatures that just feels like okay, Star Spawn could have been <laughs> anything. <laughs> could have been uh, extraterrestrial uh, Shoggoth. I don't know, uh, <laughs> or or it could have been. Uh, uh, elder things that were spawned in the stars and not of a terrestrial nature. If 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 we're going to go with the text, I mean, and, and we kind of see that in, and we're kind of going off, but uh, in Lumley with yeah. uh, uh, Kafid, mm-hmm. Cthulhu's brother. Yeah, yeah, the the goody two shoes brother of Cthulhu who has like yeah, made out of diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. 
Yeah. Uh, when people reimagine the Cthulhu mythos, you know, much like we're doing right now, it's not always the best, which we're doing right now. But <laughs> that, yeah, it's all head cannon. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. But yeah, the concept of Cthid has always kind of like made me roll my eyes a bit. It's like, Brian Lumley, you came up with Cthulhuans. Cthid is dumb. <laughs> and I, 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 I like Brian Lumley as a person. I, I, I do like some of his writings, uh, some concepts I'm not all that great about. I'm not a huge fan of vampires. So, you know, uh, some necroscopes really not for me. But, oh man, Cthid is dumb. <laughs> the whole concept of like the elder elder gods are like good versions and then bad versions and just like applying Christianity to the Cthulhu mythos just alien deities I'm okay I'm, I'm, I'm stepping off the soapbox and I don't know what else we have to talk about there Dave I, I think we covered pretty much everything yeah and, you know everybody have a uh, happy holidays yeah. and, and hopefully a great 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, if you're listening today, that means that you are avoiding your family if you're listening on the day that this comes out. Or, or listening with your family. Or listening with your family. And if you're listening with your family, we wish you all a happy holidays. And um, yeah, no, uh, why not go to that bar that's by your house and have an impromptu high school reunion? <laughs> If you lived in the town that you went to high school, which I currently don't. Um, but yeah, no, no. Uh, holiday seasons, it's, it's, it's always fun, always fun. And we hope that you have a fun one. And remember, keep warm with some copper cow. Uh, ooh, that sounds really good. I'm going to go get some copper cow after we finish recording. Uh, some copper cow uh, Vietnamese pour-over coffee. I've got some mocha waiting for me. Uh, it's It's... You know, I've got to open up the package and pour it, but it only takes a couple of moments, and it's it's so good. It's so good. But anyway, we hope you all have a happy holiday, and uh, the goat did not burn, so we're going to see if uh, how, how long we can keep it, since uh, we uh, kept it up longer than Sweden did. So, hey. Yep. All right. Everybody have a happy uh uh, new Year too in 2022. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll hear from you before the New Year's, but all right. We'll see you later, everyone. Have a good one and goodbye. Bye. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, tell your ma, tell your pa. We'll ship you down to Safagwa. Uh, like, comment. And uh, yeah, we are on YouTube. These episodes with me and Dave are on YouTube now. Uh, no video, just audio. Uh, maybe we'll get something going on where you can see our cool, cool faces sometime in the future. And of course, uh, PGTTCM.com has all of uh, whatever projects I'm working on. Dave's Corner of the Universe is where you can see Dave's past projects and hopefully future projects that he's working on. And of course, go to the shop 
at pgttcm.com. It'll ship you over to Threadless, and you can see all of our cool shirts, including our newest shirt, Brown Jenkins Situation for a Fake Band. And, you know, you buy the shirt and be like, oh, it's my favorite band, Brown Jenkins Situation. And then you make up what genre it is, and then maybe you make up a song and you sing, Brown Jenkins Situation, your rat face has got me quaking, or something like that. And Something like that. Yeah. And anyway, uh, happy holidays, and we'll see you next time. Bye. All right. Good job. <laughs> and hopefully we'll have an interview with someone to put on the yeah, show. Yeah, so we'll, we'll try to record it after work, and still play it quick. Rate, review, subscribe, tell everyone you know. Uh, go to the show notes. Go to the store. Buy a t-shirt. Tell your mom, tell your pa, ship it down to Sathagwa. We got that shirt. Thank you so much. And have a great day. 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 Great day.